In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated, won't you? Good morning, everybody. I was captured by, my imagination was captured by a quote this week from theologian named Nathan Jennings. And he, he says this, Sacrifice is an anthropological fact almost as ubiquitous as opposable thumbs and upright walking. Sacrifice is an anthropological fact almost as ubiquitous as opposable thumbs and upright walking. This is so interesting to me because, if I can be honest with you, I'd never thought much about religious humanity outside of Judeo-Christian groups. Not, not much anyways. But you know, you see what he's saying, right? That something about humans for as far, far back as science can, can tell us, something in human beings that reaches out for the divine through sacrificial offerings through giving gifts back to the divine. What is that in us? What is that in our conscience, in our heart, that apparently nothing on earth, no good behavior, no ritual, no, nothing can touch, some, nothing can, can scratch the itch in our soul that's that deep? But humans have been trying to do that, making presence to the divine from the beginning of time, for as far as we can tell. Today, in the epistle to the Hebrews, the writer speaks to this soul itch. There's, there's going to be a lot of discussion today in today's reading about very, very religious things, very uh, Lots of worship language that if you've not been around the church or if you have no idea about perhaps uh, Judaism, you, you would, it wouldn't even make sense to you. So that's why I sort of want to introduce you to this idea that just so you know, as far as science can tell us, human beings have always done this thing with sacrifice, making offerings to God, giving back to this some divine being, whoever they, they thought it was, that had given them life. You know, there's a sense of, I'm just a human, there's something bigger than me out there that's providing for my food needs and my, my children and so on and so forth. We've always done this. What is that? The writer's gonna talk about that. And first the writer is gonna tell us about the way the people of the Old Testament tried to scratch that itch. It's the way that Yahweh actually revealed to his people. He, in a sense, condescended to the way human beings have always interacted with who they thought was divine. And, uh, well, it goes like this. Find your pew Bible and turn to page 174. It's in the very back, page 174 of the New Testament. This is a short passage, but there's so much going on, and it's a fairly complex issue. The point is simple that the author is making, but the way that the author takes us to that point is quite, quite complex. So it will help if you have the text in front of you. Page 174 in the Pew Bible. 
The point is this, there is no religious system, there is no other person, there is no uh, amount of good behavior, there's nothing humans have ever found that can do for humanity what Jesus Christ did for humanity on the cross. Do you want that itch in your soul scratched? Do you want your, your heart relieved of burdens? No good behavior will do that for you. No religious discipline will do that for you. Only God can do that, and He did it in and through His Son. This is where the writer is going to take us, but he wants us to start in the beginning of the Bible. So look at with me at chapter 9 now and start at verse 1. Our passage begins today. The reading was from verse 11. We're going we're to rewind the tape and start at verse 1, okay? Notice how the author starts talking about the old way of doing sacrifices and offerings. Here's verse 1. Now, even the first covenant, this is the Old Testament, the Jewish sacrificial system, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. Now, they're going to describe more about these regulations for what, what, did, what did it look like when the first people of God reached out to him, offered him sacrifices. Verse 2, for a tent was constructed, the first one, in which were the lampstand, the table, and the bread of the presence. This is called the holy place. Now, if you know nothing about church or religious stuff, you could literally just take a few glances up here and see a good a good portion of these things, right? We got, we've got lamps, we've got a table, an altar, there's bread you're about to see in just a little bit. It's all there. Some of the same uh, uh, forms. Verse 3, behind the second curtain was a tent called the Holy of Holies, and in it stood the golden altar of incense. Did you smell the incense already? And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. We don't have time to go into all of these images, but you get the picture. They're, the writer's describing the old way of humanity reaching out to Yahweh. These were ways, by the way, that Yahweh uh, prescribed for them to reach out. And in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, in which there were a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of, of these things we cannot speak now in detail. So even here the writer slash preacher saying, yeah, we can't go into that right now, okay? Skip down to verse 9, because here's the point that the uh, writer is bringing us to. Verse 9, all of this stuff, this is a symbol of the present time during which gifts and sacrifices, that's, that's the thing that humans have always done with deities, are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Now, I know you can't see that here, but in the Hebrew, it reads like this, that cannot scratch your itchy soul. I'm just teasing, actually. It does not say that in the Hebrew at all. That is, that is, that is a very poor Josh's paraphrase. But you get the point. All of these things, all of these sacrificial physical measures, these gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. That is, they cannot get to the heart of the matter. But don't, don't we try in our good behavior, in our trying to get a good reputation, uh, I'll do this good deed and then if we're not Christian, that the gods will be happy with me, right? My, my life will go well, right? 
Uh, Or maybe if I just attend worship, I do yoga, I eat healthily, and what else? I I use essential oils, I don't know. Um, What are these other disciplines? I exercise, right? Then, then in, in, in some way, if, if I do these, these outward external disciplines, that deep part of my soul where in the words of John Mayer, something is missing, that will be scratched. That itch will be scratched. The old way, the writer tells us in the beginning of chapter 9, it couldn't do it. It could not. It could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Verse 10 These things deal only with food and drink and various baptisms, regulations for the body imposed until the time comes to set things right. So it's not that all was lost. These old ways of relating to Yahweh, they were preparations. They were shadows. And now we come to our passage for today, verse 11. Only a few more verses to go. Verse 11. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come. Most, well, some translations clarify, but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have already come. So this writer is writing to a group of people and he's explaining, listen, humans have always related to God in terms of sacrifice. In the First Testament, that was clear. There's a whole sacrificial system. There's a priest, there's a tent, there's a sacrifice, and then there's the result of that sacrifice, which is that they're made clean on the outside. Now the writer is going to distinguish why Christ, why we need Jesus, why Jesus is better, why Jesus has done what no one else can do. But when Christ came... When I was in college, I, um, I took up the hobby of roasting coffee. I believe I've told you about that before. And um, I, I do love coffee. If, if I come to your house, I'm also happy to drink Folgers. I will just curse you silently under my breath. But no, I, 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 something about, I, I did fall in love with coffee, really. And the, the smell, the, you know, the, the process of it, the, it even has a bit of a liturgy, right? You, make, you heat the water, you grind the beans, this, this kind of thing. So I got into roasting beans. And um, to do this, this is what everybody does who gets into roasting beans, is you, you tend to start, because it's very cheap, you go to a thrift store, they tell you, and you buy a popcorn popper from like the 1980s. Remember those old things? Put the kernel, the corn in there, they go around and around and around or, or whatever, and then it pops out of the front. Am I, am I uh, dating myself? Does anyone remember that popcorn popper? Yes, yes. So you find these at thrift stores all the time. You get the popcorn popper, you plug it in, you put your green unroasted beans in there, and, and then out comes your coffee in a few minutes. Now, here's the thing. It's a popcorn popper, so you can only do a small amount of coffee, like really enough to maybe last you a couple days or something. And not only that, but after the popcorn popper is finished roasting the beans, wouldn't you know, the roast is inconsistent. So some beans are barely roasted and some beans are overly roasted. What that means for your cup of coffee is it tastes disgusting, all right? But because you're so into roasting coffee, you don't care. You're like, I just roasted my own beans. Isn't that amazing? This tastes awful, but this is amazing, you know? Well, eventually in my college days, I decided I'm going to go all in. I am going to get a coffee roaster, like a jet for this purpose, for the purpose of the perfect cup of coffee for my own beans. So I get the roaster, and here's the thing. This, this machine is designed for this purpose. You, put, you can put enough beans in for about a week, 
And when the beans roast, they all roast the same uh, uh, with just a few exceptions so that at the end, it's the perfect color. It's a little bit, if you want it oily, you want it dark roasted, you can do that. If you want it light roasted and tangy and bitter, you can do that. But they're all the same. Why? Because this machine is made for it. So you have better quality, you've got better quantity. And the reason is this machine was designed for this reason. This machine will give you a cup of coffee that a popcorn popper could never give you. Now, remember, the popcorn popper can get the beans roasted. It can do the job in one sense, but it's not the same. It was designed to make popcorn. At the risk of comparing the profound with the trivial, I now take you back to the text. Because in verses 11 through 14, the writer is going to tell us, in my, Josh's crazy imagination, the writer's saying, the law could never get you a cup of coffee that tasted good. The old sacrificial system, it could get you, it could get the beans roast, but it just couldn't give you that cup. Whereas Jesus was designed for the purpose of cleansing human consciences. What the old sacrificial system could never do, Jesus was particularly designed to do, to reach into the human heart. You could do all the yoga, you can do all the religious rituals, you could do all the good behavior stuff, but it's never gonna itch that scratch in your soul. The writer says here, Jesus came and did just that more than any other system could ever do. Look at verse 11 with me. Here are some reasons why and how Jesus does it, the writer says. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Let's pause right there. There's a lot of religious language going on here. High priest. Here's the first reason that Christ could do what this religious system and all other religious systems could never do. First of all, he was a better representative. He is a better representative because you know what? When Christ came, he came as a high priest. This is a particular role within the sacrificial system. The high priest is the only one who can go into where the presence of God is and make the sacrifice that cleanses people in a ritual way. Did you know that Jesus stands even now in the Father's presence, representing us still as our great high priest. Reggie and Peter and me, and eventually, God willing, Patricia, stand as representatives of Jesus' priesthood. But really, in all reality, our worship leader, our high priest today, is in heaven, in God's realm, representing us to the Father. That's what Jesus did when he came. Talk about turning the whole sacrificial system upside down. This, we have a better priest. Here's the second thing. We, the, the word tent got mentioned. This was the location where the sacrifices would took, take place, where, where um, a, a representative would connect the divine with the people, right? This, this tent. And, and, and the writer tells us that, well, Jesus came through a greater and more perfect tent. What was the tent? Scholars debate this, but I think it's his body. Through the tent of his body. This priest, this priest through a tent not made with hands that is not of this creation, 
I imagine in that moment, I remember the, 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 the creed, the, the virgin birth. He was born of a virgin. We, we believe that. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. He entered once for all into the holy place. So we have not only a better priest, but a better location. What's the better holy place? It's not still in a tent like the old sacrifices. The holy place is wherever God is. Jesus has entered there. And he did it, how? What's the means? Through his own body. By the giving up of his own body, he enters into the presence of Almighty God to offer sacrifices for you and for me. Keep going. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Here's reason number three, Jesus is better. He's not only a better priest, a better representative, He only reaches into a a, a deeper, further location, into the very presence of God himself. There's also a better sacrifice. No longer is it the measly blood of bulls and goats. Now, it is the blood of the divine human Christ. The better sacrifice. No one has greater love than this, Jesus says in John and one who lays down his life for his friend. This is how and why we talk about Christ as not only the priest, but also the sacrifice. He's the priest and the victim. Friends, if you've not gotten the point thus far, consider all the ways that you in your own life try to get that scratch, try to itch that scratch in your soul. What do you do? Is it, is it yoga? Is it mindfulness? Is it... Um, I don't know. And now consider the fact that what Christianity offers you is a package deal wherein God himself comes down to earth and takes care of everything on your behalf. Now you don't need a priest. Christ is your high priest. You don't need a priest in the same way. Now, you don't need to sacrifice and offer all of your time and money and talent and all the things you say, because ultimately, Christ's offering was better than anything you'll ever give. That's why we can say with laughter and freedom, God doesn't actually need your money. We put our offerings on the altar. We'll do this in just a minute. The gifts will be processed forward, and the priests will bless them, because it's a symbol of us saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, me too, me too. I want to go with you to be an offering to God. But we know that Jesus' offering is the best. That's, that's how we have connection with God. It's because of what Jesus did. So a better priest, a better location, and a better sacrifice. Now, finally, here's the better result. This is the cup of coffee. This is what Jesus came to do right here, verse 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who've been defiled so that their flesh is purified, again, a lot of religious language, but the idea is there's an external quality to what the writer is talking about, external. With the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies their flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify not our flesh here. What's the, what's the word that you see? Our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. This is what Jesus came to do, to scratch the itch of the human soul, 
No good behavior, no religious system, no other sacrificial system can do this. Jesus did it. If the blood of goats and bulls and other animals can cleanse your flesh, how much more can the blood of the Son of God cleanse your heart, set your heart free, forgive you your sins? The message, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage, clarifies it a little bit in how we read it and hear it when he writes, if that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and, and, um, and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out, inside and out. We pray to, to, today in our collect of the day, we prayed that um, it's only by your gift, God, only by your gift that we are made clean, that we're able to worship you and offer you laudable service. So let me close with an implication, a major implication. It occurs to me that some of us still live uh, as if the old, old covenant, the old ways of relating to God were the way. That, that they would be enough. We're still roasting coffee beans with a popcorn popper in our spiritual lives, right? The result is inconsistent, and we never get that itch in our soul scratched. We never feel really forgiven. We never feel like we can let our guard down with God. We never feel like we're close to God. We still live in the former age, the days of the Jewish sacrificial system. That, that is the best we can hope for is with God is to sort of show up at church and then let the priest do the things so that I can have some connection with God. And, 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 and on Sundays, you see, I can receive like a, a sort of light spiritual shower, you know, to sort of clean off the surface dirt of my, my selfishness or my gossip or whatever I may have thought, said, or done this week. And then we wait. Then we wait, because we're stuck, aren't we? we we're, we're in the old system. We're, we're stuck. We're, we're waiting until next Sunday when we come back to church, the priests can do their thing, and we can get our spiritual shower again. The concept of connecting with God, being close to God through the week, that's, how is that even possible? Friends, the point of Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, is that Jesus changed all of that. To say you are a Christian then, to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus means Jesus is our ultimate and forever priest. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when you're at church and when you're anywhere but at church, Jesus, our great high priest, stands at the Father's altar representing us to God, reconnecting us with God, offering us his gift so that our measly pennies, our measly time, our big sacrifices, whatever they may be, are made acceptable to the Father. And you know what? God is happy with us because of what Jesus has done. He looks on you and he smiles 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why? Because Jesus is both priest and victim. Father, you today are inviting us into a new way of relating to you as you've done with all those who've ever heard the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. 
Would you help us to take that gift, to cherish that gift, to receive it, to live with it, and then as our colleague says, to run, run after your promises. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus Christ. We love you, Holy Spirit, for applying the gift of Christ to our itchy human souls. Amen.